pray. Amen. Well, last week we saw uh, Adam as the first priest. This week we'll see him as the first prophet. And what that then means for Jesus as the fulfilment of that and for us. Now, to first be a prophet, one must first have an encounter with God and be commissioned by God to speak. And we see that pattern uh, a number of times uh, depicted in the biblical prophets. Uh, As we've seen recently, Moses encountered the Lord at Mount Sinai and he was then sent out to speak to the Israelites and to Pharaoh. Elijah, when he had lost his courage and he was fleeing the evil queen Jezebel, he ended up on Mount Sinai and he encountered the Lord there in the small whisper and he received the call to go back to Israel and to keep speaking. Isaiah was in the temple and he had a vision of the Lord in all of his glory And at first he cried out, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Until a seraph touched his mouth with a burning coal from the altar and declared his sin atoned for. He was then sent out to speak to speak to a people who would hear but wouldn't understand, who would see but wouldn't perceive. So this was the standard for all prophets. In order to become a servant of the Lord in this way, a prophet had to first encounter him on the mountain of God and then be sent forth by him as a messenger. And that's the pattern that we see in Eden. As we saw last week, Eden was a sanctuary, the first temple in which the Lord walked with human beings. It was the mountain of the Lord, it was the place of God's presence. The man and the woman were to work it and guard it, the the priestly role, but they were also called to go out from Eden, to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. Not only did they know the Lord's holy presence in Eden, they also heard him speak to them. Both this commission to fill the earth and to rule over it, and in his instruction, the commands. You know, there were two commands in Eden. The first was a positive command, you're free to eat. God was commanding the man and the woman to to take of the abundance he had provided in creation and the command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So this is the first requirement of a prophet, to, to hear God speak, to be made wise by the hearing of his word. It wasn't the tree itself that gave wisdom, but it was the tree with the command of God attached to it. The tree was simply an object lesson. 
You could say it was a, a tactile expression of the command. It was their obedience involved all five of their senses, not just hearing, but seeing. They saw the tree, they could smell the tree, uh, they could touch the tree, they could taste the tree if they were disobedient. So their obedience would be with the whole of their beings. I've slipped that one in there for Michelle. She's an arts therapist. I knew you would. So having heard the Lord speak, to then go out and speak should be the natural response. Amos, in Amos 3, says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? If God speaks to you, you cannot but speak his word. It changes you so much. So we see Adam speaking in the garden. He gives names to the animals, an expression of his dominion over creation. Being in God's presence and hearing God speak gave Adam his authority and so him speaking was the primary expression of that authority. Language is something that's built into us human beings as creatures. I learned that in my linguistic lectures. It's something that is, we have a language centre physically in our brain designed uh, for language. Now my dog can listen to me. She seems to understand certain words. She knew she'd done the wrong thing this morning when she uh, destroyed my almond tree completely. It was very clear she understood that. But she cannot speak back to me. She cannot influence me or make me obey her with her words. So it's my ability to speak that gives me authority and my ability to speak comes from me from being made in the image of God. I am a son. You are a son, a daughter whose mandate it is to hear the word of your father and to then go on about his business. Adam also spoke when he was presented with Eve. He gave her the name woman. Now this wasn't an act of dominion like it was when he named the animals because it was said in the context of him also saying she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So naming her woman was actually including her in the call that he had received. They were to carry out this mandate as partners And while it's not there explicitly in Genesis, we know that Adam must have spoken prophetically to Eve because she wasn't yet there when God gave the command about the trees. Yet she knew what God had said when the devil came to tempt her. How would she know? There was only one other person there who would have told her. So, to put it simply, a prophet 
is someone who hears the word of God and declares that word to another. But what do we see? When Adam had failed in his priestly responsibility of guarding the garden, he'd let the snake in, what happens? Well, firstly we see that the the devil deliberately targeted the woman. Why? We can't be 100% sure because the Bible doesn't give us a direct explanation but possibly it was because the devil was trying to subvert this pattern of the Lord speaking through a person, through a human being. Eve had heard God's command through Adam and so she was to trust that Adam had faithfully communicated what God had said. Now the devil comes and sows seeds of doubt. He makes her confused about what was really said. And then he leads her to think that God's command was actually bad and that she should seek wisdom not by listening to him but by taking the fruit for herself. And in doing so she set a precedent that has been followed ever since. This idea that wisdom can be found in creation itself or within us, ourselves, apart from hearing God's word coming to us from outside. Adam then affirmed Eve's sin because while she was in this dialogue with the devil, he did not speak the truth that he knew. He didn't correct Eve's misunderstanding of the command. He didn't tell the snake that he was lying when he said that they wouldn't die. And so when the Lord came and confronted them with what they had done, he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now husbands, this isn't an excuse for us to not listen to our wives. The problem here isn't that it's a man listening to a woman. It's that instead of one human being obediently listening to God and then speaking that word to others and then them obeying the word of God, It's a human being listening to the deceptive word of the devil, telling that word to others and those people obeying that word instead of the word of God. So see how the devil has turned upside down God's design for prophecy with the willing participation of the man and the woman. So now this has become the pattern for humanity, speaking the lies of the devil and hearing and obeying those same lies. So now as Adam and Eve were fruitful and multiplied and filled the earth, their words of lies and deception have gone out with them and filled the earth. It's worth noting that in Romans Chapter 3, when Paul talks about the universality of sin across 
all peoples across the whole human race, there's this emphasis on speaking. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. That's the man that was described to us in our Proverbs reading this morning. The pen is mightier than the sword. That was a phrase coined by an English author 150 years ago, I think. And it refers to this incredible power of words, particularly written words, to shape and influence people and nations and cultures. It's because human beings are created to be hearers and speakers and doers of God's word and to do so with authority. The world can be changed, turned upside down with just a few words, good or bad. I said last week that in our yearning for a reconnection with the holy, the sinful human heart has produced idols and religions and priests. Well, the same dynamic is true when it comes to prophecy. We know that the world is full of lies and deception. Turn on the TV. And you'll not only hear them, but you'll hear people saying, this person is a liar, this politician is a liar, this leader is a liar. We know it's, we know it's part of the human race to lie, to deceive, to cheat. We know from experience that lies bring death and bring the destruction of relationships. And we seek out not just surrogate priests, but also surrogate prophets, prophets who will tell us some kind of truth, but it's, in the end it's a truth that we want to hear. It's what will make us feel good about ourselves. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now Paul is painting a medical picture here. The word there for sound is hygienic or healthy. This is a word that is true, a word that gives Health that gives life to the soul because it's the word of God. Sound teaching. However, our ears have an itchy, infectious rash. You know what it's like, isn't it? You have a, a rash and it's itchy and you have, to, you have to stop the temptation to scratch it because you know it'll just make it worse. But rather than apply the medicine of God's word to our rash which if we're patient will bring health and healing and wholeness, we'd rather just someone scratch our itch by telling us good things about ourselves. Now Paul's telling Timothy what to expect in the future, but it doesn't discount the fact that that's the way it's always been. 
We prefer to hear the voices that tell us that God is not worthy of our trust, that we cannot believe what he says, that if we disobey his good commands, we will not surely die. Voices that call evil good or good evil. Voices that convince us that the source and uh, of the source of goodness and wisdom is to be found within ourselves and not in hearing God's word that comes to us from outside. And this is all the more easy today. We can jump on our computers and get instant access to all kinds of ideas and opinions about virtually any subject we can imagine. When I googled, was Adam a prophet? It took 0.54 seconds to retrieve 28.1 million results. Within the first page of these results, there were opinions from Christians, Muslims, Baha'is and Mormons. It's a smorgasbord. We can take our pick. We can choose the voices that we want to listen to. And social media like Facebook and uh, search engines like Google and others are very happy to help us out in doing that because as they learn to feed us the things that we want to hear, they just make more money out of our clicks and our likes and our forwarding things on. They also help us block out the voices that we don't want to hear, voices that might challenge our comfortable or selfish thinking or confront us with our sin or prejudices or voices that might remind us that we are accountable to God as our judge. So we see that just as we needed a new Adam to replace the old Adam in his failure as a priest, we also need a new Adam to replace the old Adam in his failure as prophet. A new Adam who will not only communicate to us the unadulterated truth of the Father, but who will also, like Isaiah's seraph, purify our lips and atone for our sins and place his word in our mouths, enabling us once again to speak the truth with love and clarity. So one of the first things that the Lord did after Adam and Eve had disobeyed his word was he sent a prophet, their own son, Abel. Jesus called Abel righteous Abel. He named him as the first in the line of all the prophets who were killed for speaking the truth. Now we don't have any of Abel's words recorded but we do have God's words to Cain, his brother, who'd murdered him. The Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. This set the tone then for all the dozens of recorded prophets and hundreds, possibly thousands of unrecorded prophets that came after him in this steady stream through human history. God's word of truth 
coming face to face with a sinful humanity. And so the words of the prophets are primarily a word of judgment. Noah. Noah was called a herald of righteousness. And the righteousness that he heralded brought about the judgment of the flood. And prophet after prophet, speaking the truth of God and the truth about humanity, both declared the judgment that is revealed, that's upon us, who have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness, who have exchanged the truth for a lie, but they also issued the call to repent, to turn back to God, to hear his voice once again, that we might be forgiven and healed and given a new heart and new ears to hear. You know, reading today from Acts, Peter referred to Moses' words, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Now, if you've heard anything from our sermons in the last six months, you'll know that this is a reference to Jesus. Jesus, the new and better Moses. Jesus is the prophet like Moses. For most Old Testament prophecies like this, there was a, normally a short-term, temporary and partial fulfilment. And that would give the original recipients of the prophecy a confidence that God was true to his word, yet the partial nature of it would force them to keep looking forward to the day when there'd be a complete fulfilment. So the generation that heard Moses speak these words probably would have looked at Joshua, Moses' successor, and seen that in some ways he was like Moses, yet in other ways he didn't quite fit the bill. So that's a partial fulfilment that forced them to, to keep looking, to keep waiting. So Peter, in his sermon, skips over Joshua and actually goes straight from Moses to Samuel. Samuel was the prophet whom God used to set up the monarchy through King David. Now again, Samuel was like Moses in some ways, yet he didn't quite fit the bill. We know, if you know the story, the people didn't listen to Samuel. They demanded a king, even though he had warned them of what it would be like if they had a king like the other nations. And instead, the Lord didn't cut them off. He actually gave them what they asked for. He gave them the king. And it was actually his way of rolling out the plan he already had in place. Uh, to give them the king of his own choosing. So Samuel was like Moses, but he wasn't the one. But Samuel set a precedent. From that time on, there was this office of prophet in Israel, in which the, the prophets operated alongside the kings to advise and to correct and often speak judgment 
both to the people and to the kings when they disobeyed. So see how Peter points out that these prophets were not the fulfilment of Moses' prophecy, but they simply proclaimed these days. And he goes on to say, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. By calling them the sons of the prophets and of the covenant with Abraham, he's he's in effect saying, you are this offspring, this, uh, this nation that has come out of Abraham through whom the world will be blessed. But if, that's, if you're going to fulfil that calling, first you must know that you have been blessed by this offspring, singular, that God has raised from the dead and sent to you. He's saying you are the generation among whom all that the prophets have said is being fulfilled in your day. So the book of Hebrews opens with these words. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the exact radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. See how he says that God has spoken not... uh, through his son, but by his son. In other words, the son is the communication. He is the way in which God has spoken to us in these last days. And see too how this communication is of a fullness that reaches across the ages. The son is the heir of all things which means this communication will continue into the eternal future that he's secured by his blood. And since it is through him that all things were created, this revelation of Jesus not only enables us to make sense of the whole world and its history, but we know that it began right from the very beginning. It wasn't an afterthought, it wasn't a last minute plan that God had to come up with once humanity had messed things up. As John tells us at the beginning of his Gospel, Jesus is the Word made flesh. He's the prophet to come. Not just in the words he speaks, but in the sum total of all he is, all he says, all he does. Don Carson is a Canadian Bible scholar and he wrote a poem reflecting on Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth and the life. And we've just got the, uh, the middle verse here. Uh, he, 
He wrote this as he was writing his thick commentary on the Gospel of John. It's a scholarly, academic work with sometimes more footnotes than text on the pages. But as he was studying this book, he had to sit down and write a poem in praise to the one that he was studying. I am the truth of God. I do not claim I merely speak the truth as though I were a prophet, but no more, a channel stirred by a spirit power of purely human frame. Nor do I say that when I take his name upon my lips, my teaching cannot err, though that is true, a mere interpreter. I'm not some prophet voice of special fame. In timeless reaches of eternity, the trying God decided that the word, the self-expression of the deity, would put on flesh and blood and thus be heard. The claim to speak the truth, good men applaud. I claim much more. I am the truth of God. When we did our series on Jesus' teaching through Matthew's Gospel earlier this year, we saw that Jesus didn't pull any punches when he spoke. Far from being gentle Jesus, meek and mild, he spoke uncomfortable truth to hypocrites. He confronted and challenged corrupt leaders. He called people to leave their lives of sin, to sell all they had, to follow him, to take up their cross daily in self-denial. He called the Jews, the whole nation of Jews, back to the covenant and he showed them that the standard of the law called them to what was a perfection seen only in the Father himself. He foretold times of tribulation and persecution that would come when God turned the old age upside down and brought in the new age of his kingdom. He spoke of the world hating his disciples simply because they belong to him and they speak his words. He also spoke of his own death at the hands of the Pharisees and the Jewish ruling council. He spoke of his burial and his resurrection. And he made it clear that that was the chief purpose for which he'd come. When he was before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, uh, the man who, humanly speaking, had the power of life or death in his hands, he said, you say that I am a king? For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate responded with, what is truth? Not realising that he was staring the truth in the face as he asked that, as he handed the one who who was embodied truth over to be crucified. Biblically, every prophet must give a sign to verify that they're sent by God, that they can be trusted to speak the words of God. Throughout his ministry, people demanded that Jesus show them a sign, that they would believe that he is from God. And of course he did hundreds of signs, probably thousands of signs, 
they still didn't believe, but he said that there would ultimately be only one sign that is needed. This generation, he said, is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. How do we know that Jesus is the prophet who fulfills all the prophets? How do we know that he is the prophet who is himself the word of God? Because he's given us a sign. He said clearly that he would suffer, be killed and then raised on the third day and that's exactly what came to pass. Of course it's easy to predict your own death and then to go ahead and do things to ensure that you actually die but to predict your own resurrection is to claim authority an authority to lay down your life and to take it up again. It's a claim to be able to speak with the same authority of the God who both gives life and who takes it away. The God who spoke and who created the universe out of nothing. God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. We need to see that the power with which God has spoken to us in Jesus Christ is the same power with which he brought about the entire universe. In his death and resurrection is a new creation in which God brings out of the chaos of death and the darkness of the tomb a whole new world full of order and light and life. He speaks directly into our sin and our death with a word of judgment but it's not a spoken word that brings condemnation on us. It's the enfleshed, personalised word who takes our judgment upon himself. Jesus' cry from the cross My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is a word that sums up in one phrase all the words of judgment spoken by every prophet since Abel. And his final words before dying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, sums up in one phrase all of the prophets' words of declaring the covenant faithfulness of the Lord and the call to come back to him where we're accepted as his children. These two phrases stand, as it were, like two banners and everyone in the world, every person stands under one of them. The first one is the banner that represents the first Adam and we all by default stand under that banner. We all stand with him and in him and in him we remain in the lie. We're under the curse of judgment where all we can say is God has forsaken me and rightfully so. The second one is the banner that represents the last Adam. Christ. And if we stand under that banner, if we stand with him and in him through faith, 
we remain in the truth of God, in the light of God and we remain under the blessing of knowing the Father. So see what this all means for us now as we are the church together in Christ. This is Ephesians chapter 4. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Christ gives to the church these people, these five categories of ministry, and they all involve speaking the word of God. And so it is the word that he speaks through these people that brings us to unity to the knowledge of Jesus and to maturity. And this is then what guards us from being tossed about and carried away by the lives and the craftiness of every wind of doctrine. Uh, There. So instead of now being tossed about, what do we do? We now speak the truth in love. This is not just about us being honest and open with one another in our conversations. The truth that we speak is the truth of Christ because he is the truth. So see how now in him we have been reinstated. We're back to where we should be. We are the prophetic community Each one of us, whenever we speak the word of Christ, we're prophets. Uh, Whenever we come together as the church and speak to one another the word of Christ, we are a prophetic community. And whenever we speak out and whenever we go out and proclaim the gospel to the world around us, uh, we are being a prophetic community. We're equipped by the Spirit to hear the truth that Christ speaks to us in love and to speak that truth to one another. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that because of what Christ has done, because of his death and resurrection, because of that one sign that he has given that shows once and for all that we are accepted in him, We ask that each of us here might know that same truth that Isaiah knew when his lips were cleansed, when he was told his sins were atoned for and when he was sent out to speak boldly your word to your people and to the world. We ask that you will fill us with 
that boldness, that you'll give us the power, the courage, the words to speak the truth in love to everyone around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our final hymn. Uh, This is a a song that I think we learnt this during the COVID lockdown period, so it was all online, so it may be new if you weren't watching the services during that time, but uh, see how we, in this song we'll be praying for God's kingdom to come and there's an understanding that uh, as we go out and we speak his word, as we proclaim the gospel, that is the way through which God's kingdom comes to people in this world. Let's stand and sing. Mm-hmm.